0: What's going on everybody? Welcome into another edition of b Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer and I'm happy to be with you here. Talking about another Cardinals win after they get it done on Saturday. Defeating the Pittsburgh Pirates by a score of 9-1. And I honestly feel like we're, we're going to need to remind ourselves a few times throughout this episode of the podcast that it's the Pirates, it's the Pirates, it's the Pirates. Because we really don't have a way to contextualize as of yet just how bad the Pirates might be but I I think it could be pretty poor uh, based on you know there's just not a whole lot going on there for Pittsburgh and uh, a a game on Saturday in which they just come up with the one run I think you got to give credit to Adam Wainwright and the the job that he was able to do in that game had some difficulties in that second inning where he the bases were loaded you got nobody out Ends up getting a big punch out, did walk in a run uh, with the next batter. You have a 3-2 pitch that's taken for a strike, then a 3-2 pitch taken for a ball. Just just barely missed a spot on that pitch. So that's the one run that scores, though, and he gets out of the inning from there. Ends up throwing six solid innings of one-run baseball for the Cardinals. Gets his first win in the books for the 2020 season. Had the bullpen come in, do a fine job as well. So the Cardinals get that win 9-1. But, I mean, that's something we're going to find out as, as the season goes along over the, in the next few weeks. Different teams get to see how they match up against other teams, and the division standings will start to kind of fall into place. But as for right now, they're falling into place pretty good for the Cardinals. They're 2 no the only team in the National League Central that can claim that. You've got three teams, the Cubs, Brewers, and Reds, all tied at 1-1. And then, of course, the Cardinals playing that divisional series right now against the Pirates. The Pirates are 0-2. They're in last place. I think that's probably where you can expect them to stay. But it's going to be interesting to see as the Cardinals get in a little bit deeper to their schedule, play some of the teams from the AL Central, uh, getting the, the Minnesota Twins on the docket, and they'll get the Brewers as well next week. So we'll see how they match up. But the way they're matching up so far against the only competition that they've had the chance to face is pretty darn good. We'll talk about what happened in the game on Saturday, some takeaways, and you know what we think— We could potentially see some of these elements of the team that happens in the first weekend. Will they continue? Won't they continue? Kind of what our predictions are for that. I did get my uh, article up for KMOV, so you can check that out now if you haven't done so already. Talking about MLB season predictions, went through every division race and kind of diagnosed what I think would happen with a 16-team playoff this season. I do have the Cardinals in that playoff mix. It would be kind of hard for them to miss it, right? Uh, especially, you know, I, I wrote up these, the, the article in the blueprint for where I had everybody seated in the standings before uh, the Cardinals played their two games so far this season. But definitely when you think about different sports, hockey, you know, the NHL, NBA has such an expansive playoff format that I say, you know, if you're an NHL team and you miss the playoffs, you certainly were not a contender. You didn't deserve to, to have a chance to play for a title. The same thing is going to be true this year in baseball. If the Cardinals don't make that 16-team field, they don't deserve a chance at winning a title this year. Uh, but I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to do that. And maybe I'm getting a little bit of ahead of myself. Again, it's the Pirates. It's the Pirates. But they look good so far. And I, I think, honest to goodness, it might not even take anything better than a 500 record to get that eighth seed in either the National League or the American League. So... We'll wait and see. Obviously, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that'll play out. And then over the course of a regular 162-game season, if, in fact, they were to use this format uh, beyond 2020, which I hope is not the case, as I mentioned on the show, you know, w- would you eventually get a team that's a, a World Series champ below a 500 record? Certainly possible. I'll cross my fingers that we don't get it this year, but when I was looking at those predictions I was doing, you're like, man, the, you know, the Dodgers, okay, if they're going to be the number one overall seed, win 38 to 40 games or something like that because they're really good, they could end up running up against a team that's maybe a 29-win team. Maybe they scratch across 30, but if they've got a couple of good starting pitchers, that's all it's going to take in a three-game series. And so I I hope we get there, though, right? Like that's kind of the first and foremost point that don't want anything COVID-19 related to crop up and cause the season to be uh, truncated even further than it already has been, Um, from 162 games down to 60. Now we just hope we get to finish the 60, have the postseason. I think the only way that it doesn't happen, you know, the only way baseball doesn't get through this season is if, you know, you get one team and then maybe another couple of teams where you have an outbreak of COVID cases all at once, and that'll be kind of the testing point of how do we deal with this, can we deal with this, and can we move on from it. I think I think every team should be putting the the protocols in place to be prepared almost beyond the 60 man roster because if push comes to shove and there's a real outbreak situation for for a given roster, you know, you look at the Cardinals. I don't know specifically how many guys they've actually named to their 60 man player pool. I know John Mozeliak had had said there would be an announcement regarding the satellite camp in Springfield who was actually going to be there. I know there's guys down there already. Uh, you know, I think they said like a dozen guys to intake, but a dozen plus thirty is like forty something. That's not sixty, and so um, I, I might have just missed the missed the press release or whatever the case was on that. But I feel like for for teams, there's got to be opportunities to also add from outside because when you look at the number of guys the Cardinals so far have committed to having part of their camp, and the number of them that are prospects, guys that you know, Mason Wynn, you got you got guys that you don't have any intention of actually bringing them up into the major leagues. I think Nolan Gorman is included in that list. I don't think they're going to bring him up either. You know, even in a, in a dire situation, I think the preference would be not to do that, not to start his clock um, before he's potentially ready to, to, to contribute in a positive way at the MLB level. So that's kind of my quick detour on kind of the way I see things in major league baseball, the lay of the land as they're dealing with COVID-19, as we all are. But as far as the game on Saturday, Paul Goldschmidt gets it started the right way. A home run off the facade of Big Mac Land. You're not busting that sign. They redid the sign. It's basically. It looks like all the other video boards, and you know the same probably material they use to to put up the the pitcher's name and pitch count and balls and strikes and stuff like that. It's the same signage pretty much. It goes all around the stadium now. It it looks like to me anyway. And so, uh, you know, definitely like all totally digital. You, you Paul DeYoung mentioned it today how you've got the uh, he said the American flag. I think it was actually like the opening day bunting that was in within the letters of Big MacLean. so they can do whatever they want with that, change the colors and 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 make it look however they like to. Which uh, Paul DeYoung said he kind of liked, but he was also glad to have the the M back at his ha- back at his house. He said the uh, the M that he earned last year, kind of with the break it you buy it um, mindset. So. Anyway, Paul Goldsmith gets it off going the right way. And then you had that second inning, though, where Wainwright was able to bear down right after the Cardinals score that run. You give one back. But it's key that you only give the one back because from there, once the Cardinals found a way in the fourth to, to get back in the, the, the scoring column, stop putting up zeros and start putting up some crooked numbers, which they did three times in the game, scored two in the fourth, four in the seventh, and two in the eighth in order to win that game 9-1. to one. Once they started doing that, it was kind of like free and easy. They're, they really did not feel like there was any doubt that the Cardinals were going to put that game away. Uh, they, they got some nice performances from the bullpen. John Gant threw an inning in two-thirds, walked a batter, struck out a batter. Tyler Webb threw an inning with a strikeout. And for some reason, and I don't, I guess Mike Schultz was not asked about this. I didn't think to ask about it in the moment, and it really doesn't matter. I, I didn't I think the, anything he would have had to have say, he probably would have just Said, yeah, we wanted to get him some work. But Daniel Ponce de Leon, for whatever reason, uh, recorded the final out for the Cardinals in that game. And I'll be interested again to see, you know, we're, we're two games into the season now where we can start to, to look at the way roles are going to start to develop within that bullpen. Pretty clear, I think, Ryan Helsley in a game that was definitely on the line yesterday. He was the guy that got the first crack at the eighth inning. And he was able to convert uh, a nice hold in the eighth yesterday. Pretty much a, a clean, nondescript inning. Nothing to... to to talk about he was, he was perfect. And so you, you figure he's probably in line to be one of those leverage guys late in games. Kwon Yun Kim obviously had the hiccup, but they were able to get out of it and, and get him the save for that first game. He'll be the closer until, you know, he messes up multiple times. I don't think there's any, anybody calling for his job at this point in time, too early in the year for that. I, I guess I should say too early in the schedule for that, not too early in the year of the calendar, because we're in late July and I understand the sense for urgency, but uh, you know, one game is major league debut, I think I think he's going to be better his next time out than he was that time out. And if he's not, we'll talk about that and kind of see what that looks like. But, uh, you know, in this game today, it was still a moderately close game, I guess, when when John Gantt gets into the game in the seventh. Uh, because at that point, the Cardinals had not scored their four runs in the seventh inning yet. They were only up, uh, I guess it was three to one at that point in time. So John Gantt gets the seventh. Kind of an indication, I think, of, of Mike Schilt putting him in into a role that's kind of the role that he filled at the beginning of last season when he was so, so good for the Cardinals, and he really fell off toward the second half of the year. But uh, he looks kind of like first-half John Gantt so far, at least in the outing that he had today. Looked pretty solid. Did give up that walk, and so that's when they went to the bullpen to let Tyler Webb finish an inning, and then he got to the opportunity to start the ninth, and Leon for whatever reason, finished it. But I would like to see Leon be in like, an actual role. I don't know what's going to happen, honest to goodness, if you get a starter that goes down, which it's probably going to happen. At some point in time, teams are, you know, you, you lose guys to injury. That's that's baseball. And so if you got Ponce de Leon, it'll probably be Gomber, I guess. They'll throw into the rotation. Like to have a lefty in there, so maybe that's what they'll do. But I just think Ponce de Leon is too good, too sharp, too on top of his game to be just kind of relegated to to these roles. But, hey, you can't complain. I'd rather see him pitch than not see him pitch. And if, if your offense gets you an eight-run lead, that's that's what you get. And so they wanted to put Ponce into the game. Don't really have an issue with it. Ideally, I don't think, you know, you face one batter. I think he threw, like, four pitches. I don't think that's going to have any impact on his availability for Sunday. And then I know you get, like, I think two off days in the upcoming week as the Cardinals have a road trip. So probably no issue there. But I am I, I will like to see, as you, you have more games that are one-run games, two-run games, whether you're in, you know, tie games whether you're leading those games or or slightly trailing in those games, there was certainly an established order, I think, that Mike Schilt was able to develop within that bullpen last year for kind of what you lean toward in those situations, given a fully healthy complement of your relievers. And so it'll be fascinating to kind of see how that develops into this year. But so far, I'd say Gant, Helsley are certainly two guys that are, you know, on the docket for opportunities in the 7th, 8th of close contested games that the Cardinals intend to win. You know, the Cardinals genuinely think they have a chance to win. So that's kind of what it looked like from the bullpen on Saturday. But really what I want to talk about, you know, the, the not just the offense, but the the totality of the Cardinals' ability to put together multiple innings where they scored runs and the way they went about doing it. And then I want to try to get into the defense a little bit before the show ends if, if I feel like I have time. I'm recording this one early on a Sunday morning, staying up late, trying to get this out in that way. Y'all will be able to listen to it, hopefully, before Sunday's game, and then we can do it all again. You know, when, when you've got baseball being played every day, kind of puts the pressure on me to make sure we talk about what needs to be talked about and then get on to the next day's stuff because if you don't make an episode in a day, you're probably going to miss some stuff, and then by the next day, it's like, oh, yeah, I really wanted to talk about that. And it's like, yeah, well, you can't if you don't do it now because it's going to kind of be old news by the time they play another game. So that's what we're doing here, knocking this out. For you guys. And I did get a message actually today. I wanted to mention this. Uh, Got a message, a voice message on anchor.fm, which you can always send me. I I have not mentioned it again since we revamped the show, restarted things here in, in July. But back when I was doing the show in January, February, and early into March, I began to request if anybody was interested in doing it, you have the ability to send me a voice message that I can actually play on the podcast. And then I can answer your question or respond to your commentary, whatever you got to say. I'm happy to discuss it with people. Um, since this show's not live, I would like to implement some live shows and, and go back to doing some periscopes and stuff. Once I figure out my internet connection, I just hate when I get on there and I'm, I'm doing it with a shoddy internet connection, and then people are asking questions, people are engaged, and I can't, you know, give them the kind of answers and responses that I think they deserve because I have cruddy internet. So working on that, I would like to get that taken care of, but. Um, where I live in Columbia right now, I do not I do not have the greatest connection. So uh, we'll see what we want to do about that. But what you can do on this show is you go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. bshafer12 spelled just the same as my Twitter handle. Anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And you can record your own message, your own voice. It will automatically send to me and then I'll be able to play it on the show and respond to it. So my buddy Will did that. Uh, earlier today, I think I saw this on Saturday, and so I'm gonna try to use that for either Sunday or Monday's episode. Um, I know we've got off days coming up and stuff like that, uh, so depending on what happens in tomorrow's game on the game on Sunday, um, I'll I'll get that message in real soon. Will I appreciate you for sending me that? And anybody else that wants to do so, once again, the link to do that is anchor.fm slash bshafer 12 slash message. Would love for you to record anything Cardinals related, other sports, you know, honestly, whatever. You can get a little silly if you want, and I'll probably still include it because I appreciate you all uh, when you're when you're engaged in the show, and so that means a lot to me. So anyway, though, I want to get into the Cardinals' offense here a little bit, and I wrote about it for KMOV as well. That'll be a story you guys can read on Sunday. Talking about something that I think is really fascinating. With the designated hitter in play in the National League this year, I think it, and I said this too before the season started, I think it sets up for the Cardinals to really be able to to do some interesting things with lineup construction, and I think they've got the right manager to do it and to figure it out, and I think he's already done it. I think he's cracked the code within the first couple of games, and I'm not saying it's the most difficult thing in the world to say, hey, Harrison Bader's a guy who has a lot of speed. He profiles as a leadoff hitter, except for the whole on-base percentage thing. Hasn't been able to figure that out yet, and so if he's able to raise that OBP up, you'd say, oh, man, that's a guy you want batting one or two in your lineup, but because the Cornels have Colton Long, led the team in OBP last year at 361. They have Tommy Edmond. He was number two on the team at 350 OBP. And, you know, could the sophomore slump happen for Edmond? Potentially. It was kind of funny. My dad was texting me during the game and said, what do you think about Edmond? I'm like, yeah, you know, he hasn't had the greatest start uh, offensively. Kind of a few swings and misses that I've seen in some of his at-bats. And, like, no sooner than I'm trying to respond to him, Tommy Edmond, you know, hits one to the wall, base of the wall for a triple. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, dad, I think he's going to be okay. So, and that's the thing about Edmund too. He went through some slumps at times last year. If you look at his game logs and you can kind of play around with it on baseball reference, he wasn't, you know, a world beater throughout the season. He had a really good September. And so you can kind of go down game by game and you see where the OPS really started to creep back up toward the, you know, whatever, 850 or I forget where it ended up for him, but it was pretty strong, something like 848 for Tommy Edmond and, and I believe he led the team in that category and so you know when you got guys like him and Wong atop the order Harrison Bader I think he's perfect for the nine hole bat him you know bat him in that spot to where he's basically when you come back around a second leadoff batter and they've got Tyler O'Neill batting eighth and he's got one of the best you know stat cast sprint speeds out there in Major League Baseball and so now you got eight nine one and two Basically, just like a like a track beat, and I know that the sprint speed. If you're talking about Statcast, Colton Wong was not graded particularly highly on sprint speed um, last season. Uh, he passes the eye test to me. The dude, the dude can fly, and and you know he's he's fun to watch when he's running. So I don't know, you know, that's that maybe an eye test thing versus what the analytics are saying. But I, I still consider Wong to be a guy that can use his wheels to make a difference in the game. And so when you got those guys you know, bunched up together, eight, nine, one, and 2, no pitcher to worry about. There's th- the flow and momentum and cohesiveness of the offense really feels like it's got an opportunity to take shape, especially as the game develops, because you're going to get the benefit of that, not the first time through the order. I mean, you-, you love to have guys betting one, two, three, and 4, and they're quality hitters, but I think there's something fun about, all right, now you've gotten to the bottom of the lineup, and normally in the past, especially in an NL game, a team, an opposing pitcher, might think, okay, we we got a chance now. We can, you know, we're too we're too a lull in the lineup. We can kind of get through this before we have to worry about the big hitters up at the top. That's not really the case, I don't think, with the Cardinals this season. Because first of all, O'Neill has showed you the kind of damage she can do already, hit a home run. But he's also got the speed. He can. He's he's taken a couple of walks here and there already, which is really impressive to see, um, because his thing has been strikeouts and maybe plate discipline was not his strong suit, but. I think already we've seen a little bit of improvement in that regard from him. And so if he's batting eighth, he can do damage on his own, but he can also get on base. Bader's going to find a way on base. Still looking for the first hit of 2020 because they took it away. They gave him a hit on a little nubber in front of the pitcher. Uh, I believe it was Kyle Crick. He couldn't handle it. Tried to throw, get Bader at first base. That's not going to go well for you if you bobble a ball against Harrison Bader. And, and that's the whole point of this. With him batting ninth, there are just ways to impact the game. And so he doesn't make the ball out of the infield. The pitcher makes a mistake. It was originally ruled a base hit, then changed to an error. But the the point stands that he gets on first base. The pitcher throws over multiple times to try to keep him there. And he doesn't succeed because Bader, the first chance he gets, steals second. And now you've got, you know, it's it's in the pitcher's head. He's thinking about it. And then Colton Wong's batting. You're, you're top of the lineup. Then he walks. And then the next thing you do, you know, it just all starts kind of coming together for the Cardinals where you're like, oh, we have Edmund. We've got Goldschmidt. We've got DeYoung. Carpenter, like the the middle and the meat of that order, is ready to do damage once those guys get on. And so, pretty impressively from the Cardinals offensively on Saturday, in that seventh inning and eighth inning, they scored a combined six runs, and four of them were scored by Colton Wong and Harrison Bader. They both took two plate appearances, and they both scored twice. Got on base twice, scored twice. In Bader's case, one was hit by a pitch, one was reached on an air, but... I mean, honest to goodness, it doesn't matter. You, you'd like to probably see, you know, if I'm Harrison Bader, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to have a zero batting average. But I feel pretty darn good about what I did on Saturday to help the team win the game. And I think that's, and, and Paul DeYoung was was really good the way he kind of talked about it and broke it down. Just the, the cohesiveness of the lineup is in a great spot right now because everybody kind of is, is working together. They all know their roles. And as Mike Schilt likes to talk about, the leadoff batter is only the leadoff batter the first time through. After that, it's going to change. Sometimes Paul DeYoung is going to be the leadoff batter in an inning. And sometimes it'll be Paul Goldsmith. These guys understand that. And I think they're willing to adapt their roles within the context of innings. But sometimes you have it set up exactly like it did in the seventh and eighth today, especially when you, you do so well in the seventh to make it happen. And you're scoring multiple runs. You're going to get right back to the bottom of that order so much quicker that you can kind of start the process all over again. And it went flawlessly in the seventh and eighth where they were able to score a combined six runs. So, I think that's something to really be excited about for Cardinals fans. DeYoung really spoke to, yeah, it's fun to hit home runs and three-run bombs are great, but he thinks from a mental edge perspective and and you kind of getting into the head of your opponent and almost like, he didn't say this this phrase, but it's almost like you're breaking their will. And so that's kind of what I ran with a little bit in the story that I wrote for KMOV, where if you can frustrate the heck out of them and you can, you know, take tough at-bats, you know, Guy walks, you double him in, or guy doubles, then you get a walk, and suddenly you've got, you know, ducks on the pond, and you're making things happen. An infield hit, oh man, the pressure is suddenly on the defense. I mean, home runs, I guess, put a pressure on the defense too, but when you're actually making them field the ball, you know, that the, the home runs, honestly, that's more pressure on the opposing offense, and they got they'll get their chance to bat. But right now, you know, if you're Homer and you're gonna have to wait your turn if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates. But when you talk about putting balls in play. And making the defense work, and making a pitcher work. I, I think the Cardinals. There's a recipe here, and I know it's the Pirates. It's the Pirates. It's the Pirates. Got to remind yourself of that. But the recipe that the Cardinals have consistently talked about being what they intended to do this season, and I'm talking about all the way back to the winter meetings in December in San Diego. Like this is something that I think Mike Schilt and his and his staff has been plotting and planning. As they've gone along, and then they had an opportunity in spring in Jupiter back in February to, to begin to execute it. And so I think they're coming together. And and another thing I should be fair in mentioning, and Mike Schultz wanted to point this out today, and so I, I feel obligated to do so as well. He said if you look at the the end of last year, talking about the regular season, he feels they started to implement some of the things already that they were working to to kind of strengthen up on when, when they turned the calendar to 2020. So the end of 2019, there were some elements of the offense where they were in the top third and they were they were improving in certain areas as the season went along late. And I think Tommy Edmonds certainly was a part of that in September with with kind of the the, the revamp to his game that he had after a little bit of a lull in the middle of his season. Um, but I, all around, Mike Schultz was at least happy with the blueprint that they laid down at the end of last season to kind of build upon that over the winter and in spring. And so, so far in this season, we're only two games in, and I'm understanding of that. But that also means that you're like what, one thirtieth of the way through the season, so like a little more than three percent. It's going to come up on you quick. I mean, we're going to we're going to pretty much race through this 2020 campaign, uh, with only 60 games to be played. But with what we've seen so far, I I really think there's a lot to be excited about um, from the offense. And uh, I'm going to keep giving you the daily MVP update for Paul DeYoung. Uh, he had another nice day at the plate. Went two for four, scored two runs, two RBIs. Ho hum. So you know, if and maybe if the young doesn't win the MVP, perhaps it'll be the other Paul Goldschmidt will get it done. But I and you know that's the thing. And I was again, I, I was talking to this talking about this today. When you when you got Paul Goldschmidt, you look at his numbers throughout his career, and you look at what he did last year. If anybody else on the team, you know, had done what Paul Goldschmidt did last year. Paul DeYoung, as an example, you'd be like, man, that was a really nice season. That's what we said about Tommy Edmund, who had kind of comparable numbers to to uh, Paul Goldschmidt in a lesser sample size. Said, man, that was a nice season. Now, Tommy Edmund came out of nowhere as a rookie and, you know, really surprised you in a positive way. But talking about Goldschmidt, it's almost like we all just kind of overlooked what he did last year, having a really solid season because he wasn't superhuman Paul Goldschmidt that, you know, National League Baseball fans had had known him to be for the entirety of his career and so the question then boils down to okay that's that's okay you can be exactly what you were last year and I think if he is the Cardinals are going to be okay but Paul Goldsmith has made it clear his expectation is to improve upon what he did last year particularly from a consistency standpoint he wants to be the guy that he is more often and not have the prolonged slumps and that's something that Paul DeYoung has talked about as well I think both of those guys are going to be able to execute that but Just like imagine for a moment, okay, you got what you got out of him last year, talking about Goldschmidt, but what if you did, you know, and I was mentioning the question, is it you just had a down year and a new team and a new scenario, took some getting used to, or is Paul DeYoung, or Goldschmidt rather, is he just entering that phase of his career where you get into your 30s and perhaps you lose a step, you lose your edge a little bit? And the more I think about it, the more I think there's no way Paul Goldschmidt has lost that edge yet, I think he's still going to be able to produce at a very high level, and so it's a scary thought for the Cardinals lineup that potentially is getting a Paul DeYoung that, you know, if you ask, say, me, a Paul DeYoung that could be a, a one of the better players in the National League from an offensive standpoint, throw in the defensive value that he brings, and he's a, he's a great A stud. Get that at your, at your cleanup spot. Maybe a rebound from Matt Carpenter. And then, like, vintage Paul Goldsmith batting third with everything I just talked about, Eight, nine, one, and 2. The speed that's involved in the lineup set in the table—that is a dangerous set of circumstances for an opposing team, opposing pitching staff. I—that's I, why again they could play the Twins next week and they could get shut out by Randy Dobnak or whoever the heck. But um, I'm—I just—I I think that right now there's definitely reason for optimism and to be excited about what the Cardinals have done so far and what potentially they they could end up being able to do as the season goes along a little bit more on Paul Goldsmith because I did say I wanted to talk about some of the defensive elements of the team before we got out of here for the podcast today. I think we, and and we talk about this a lot, but I don't think we talk about it enough. And so like when things like this come up, I think it's worth exploring even further to kind of drill this point home that Paul Goldsmith is, is pretty underappreciated as a defender. And that's uh, and Adam Wainwright said, it's kind of feels weird to to say he's underappreciated when he's won like multiple gold gloves which is to indicate he's been recognized for his defense. But like on a day-to-day basis, the stuff that Goldschmidt does to save runs and to make life easier for his pitching staff, it can kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And so I want to take you back to game one, opening day. After the game, talking to Jack Flaherty, he mentioned, you know, I asked him about trying to get out of the seventh inning because that was an inning for him that was really the first time he ran into trouble in that game. And so... He talked about, you know, gave up just a, a bunch of lazy singles. He didn't say that, but that's that's what it was. It was four singles, not, nothing above 89 miles per hour off the bat, and so he talked about the one that broke the, you know, broke the dam, let two runs in. He was frustrated for giving up that hit, but he had to bear down, get the next guy. That was Gerard Dyson. Gerard Dyson hit like kind of a swinging bunt, little grounder in front of the mound, and Flaherty bounces off, tries to get it, spins and throws. Goldschmidt makes the catch, and the inning's over. Great. But what Flaherty said on that night was he didn't really make a very good throw to Goldschmidt on that play. He was kind of rushed on the throw. Looking back, he wished he would have made a better one. But he talked about the footwork that Paul Goldschmidt put into that. And I may have mentioned this on the episode yesterday of, of b Shave Daily, but the footwork to, to kind of change sides of the bag so that he could more easily field the ball, a ball that Flaherty said for a moment he was kind of worried that it might actually hit Gerard Dyson as he ran down the line. And if that happens and it scoots away, you're, you're pretty much done for. But what Paul DeYoung said today, uh, on Saturday, was that, I guess the teammates were kind of talking about it, and, and there was talk that the ball actually did hit Gerard Dyson, and, and Paul Goldsmith still found a way to catch it anyway. And so, if that doesn't speak to just kind of the, the saving grace that he can be for, for defense and for a pitching staff, I don't know what will. And because he was doing it again on Saturday, there was a play, kind of a soft grounder that DeYoung had to charge, and I said, oh, he did a nice job to charge that through low, trying to rush it, you know, trying to get it done in time. So not not a perfect throw, but it was kind of an off-balance play where he had to really come in on the ball. But Paul Goldschmidt just eats it up at first base like it's nothing. And I tweeted about it when it happened, but I, I think I think it's it bears mentioning because, and, and Wainwright described it this way, when you've got an average defense and you give up a leadoff hit or a leadoff walk or whatever the case might be, and then the next guy hits a ground ball, an average defense, you might have guys at first and third with nobody out. A, sup- a superlative defense, the kind the Cardinals have on the infield, you you probably have two outs and nobody on because they turned a double play. And so, th- and, and we've seen that time and time again. It's why I said, I think this might be the best defensive team in baseball. As we look, we've only got a sample size of two games. We've seen... If you're looking for it, it's there to be seen, the the quality that's on this infield. And so they were raving about Goldsmith when they we were talking to Adam Wainwright, and he had a lot of good things to say. But that's when I asked him, I'm like, isn't it comforting to know that you kind of can say that about, you know, the things you're saying about Goldie? You could say that about every position for the most part. And he was like, yeah, it makes a huge difference. And that's when he gave me the anecdote about, you know, runner on first, first and third, or are you are going to get the double play and, and get two outs? And next thing you know, you're pretty much out of the inning without any damage happening. So it's it's substantial, and, and you think about it in terms of the outfield, which we've talked about as well. Um, Fowler, I think, it'd be all right in right field, but we've seen Lane Thomas already defensively substitute for him late in games. He actually took an at-bat today because the Cardinals were up by so much late in that game on Saturday that Lane Thomas batted and then came in defensively. So he's played both ninth innings in right field for Fowler. He's an athletic outfielder. Tyler O'Neill can cover some ground in left. You know what Bader is in center where's the hole on that defense? I, I had mentioned that Tommy Edmond at third, maybe a little bit green, you know, was a shortstop in the minor leagues. That might be an area where you're like, uh, maybe I don't know, but honestly, and again, he, everybody's going to make an error. He had that error on, on the, on the first game that was in the ninth, that almost was very costly, but I think also that ball was like 103 miles per hour off the bat. But the point I'm trying to make here is Tommy Edmund is making some really good plays as well at third base. And so, I th- and I think he's only going to get better as he gets, gets more experienced accustomed to the, the major league game that becomes his position, which it looks like it's probably going to, you'll have more Matt Carpenter DHing and, and I'm sure the, the lineups will change eventually. Maybe they'll change for Sunday. Although when we come against Mitch Keller, I believe he's the, the starter for the pirates on Sunday. Feels like one of those games that could be, we're talking about, yep, yeah, that was a letdown. They didn't hit Keller because they didn't know him. They didn't see him. It's a, it's a guy that they haven't really seen because he's younger in the game. Um, And so not a lot of a sample size against him. And so we'll see how the Cardinals handle that on Sunday. But, um, you know, that's what I'm talking about with the defense. You like it with the offense. You like it. Certainly with the pitching staff, you can only say so much about Wainwright and Flaherty just kind of mowing down Pirates the last couple of days. But that's basically what they've done. But again, it's the Pirates. It's the Pirates. I don't think they pose much of a threat in the long term for anybody's postseason, you know, bidding. 16 teams make it, and I I already know of one that won't, and so I guess you could say you know of probably at least three that won't. I would say it's safe to say the Tigers won't. Uh, I'm not even going to, that'd be kind of a fun thing to do on the podcast, just start deciding when we're going to officially eliminate teams when we say there's just no way they're going to make it. Wouldn't do that to the Royals, they beat the Indians today. And so I'm not ready to, to, to kick them to the curb yet. And I, I honestly don't know the American League standings top to bottom. So I might be speaking out of turn here. Maybe the Tigers had a great win that I don't know about, didn't see about. But be kind of a fun fun exercise to put together. I might try to do that as we go along here. And, you know, you can do that for the NFL season because it's only 16 games. Um, harder in a regular baseball season to do that. You, you kind of have to wait for the math to to dictate on that situation. But this year we could have a little fun with that. So maybe we will, but I'm going to wrap things up here because I'm tired, ready to go to bed. And I think we've kind of diagnosed, discussed everything we needed to from the Cardinals nine to one win on Saturday on Sunday. It'll be Dakota Hudson excited to talk about him to write about him. Very interested to see what he'll do against the pirates. Um, and the Cardinals will have to face Mitch Keller, I believe it is, so we'll see what they're able to do against him. We'll have another show for you, hopefully on, uh, you know, whether it's Sunday night or by Monday morning at the latest, talking about Sunday, talking about the Cardinals. Uh, feel free to send me a message. I told you the, the link earlier, uh, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. Follow me on Twitter at bshafer12. Follow me everywhere at bshafer12 pretty much. And uh, the most important thing, though, subscribe to the podcast. I think you can actually leave reviews, too. I've, I've seen... Uh, a couple ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you do leave a review, leave it for five stars. Otherwise, I would prefer you didn't leave it. No, I don't care. Do whatever you want. But Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you know the drill by now, hopefully. And if you don't, then I'm glad to have you here. And hopefully, hopefully, you're here when I talk to you again tomorrow.